guest, we are going to talk a bit more about what things look like right now in BC. Fewer faces, less time together, bigger spaces. No matter what your business is or where you may be operating, it's very important to remember the most effective ways to reduce the potential for transmission of COVID-19. And those are making sure we have safe physical distancing, never allowing anyone with symptoms to come into your place of work. That was Dr. Bonnie Henry speaking on Friday. Right now, though, we are going to bring in Dr. Gerald DeRosa, Head of Medicine at Royal Columbian Hospital. Dr. DeRosa, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. It's my pleasure, Jill. Thank you very much. Uh, Can you describe what it's like at Royal Columbian right now? Uh, I think things are quite good right now. Um, Incidence rates across the region are very low, uh, so we barely have any patients in the hospital with COVID-19 right now. Uh, And if you think back to when you wrote the letter or when the letter was written about uh, calling for stricter measures back on March 21st, did you ever anticipate that here we would be May 18th having this conversation? Um, Not really. I I actually thought it was still going to be fairly active at the present time. But I think the public has done such a great job with the social distancing. And um, I think in general, our preparatory measures uh, as a hospital and as a province have been, um, you know, fairly anticipatory. And so I think that because of that, our numbers have dropped dramatically and we're in really good shape compared to a lot of other places uh, across the country and uh, in the world. Oh, and, and would you say it is the, the physical distancing or what is it do you think that we've done in BC? Because we do, uh, per capita, we do have pretty promising numbers. I mean, unfortunately, we have seen, I think it's 141 people die of COVID-19, but we still do have comparatively very good numbers. What do you think it is? Uh, is it the distancing or is that what you attribute that to? Yeah, I think there are multiple factors, but I I do think the distancing um, is probably the key factor when you look at it and uh, how serious we were about that. Um, I also think some things were done earlier on, um, such as cancelling elective surgeries in the hospital and making space um, in our healthcare system for uh, for COVID-19 patients. I think we were also a bit lucky with timing. Uh, I know our spring break was later and uh, I think most people's spring break plans got cancelled during that time, whereas I think uh, other places where the spring break was earlier, there was unfortunately some transmission through those vectors as well. What do you think of the cost, though, when you mention elective surgeries and the fact that so many of those were cancelled and we're now starting to see them be rescheduled and, and get back on the docket? What do you think the cost is or was of making that decision? Yeah, it's always a tricky balance. I mean, any of these decisions, um, I, you know, I've always said you have to weigh the, the risk benefits and there's always a cost to pay even for businesses and uh, people who are waiting for these surgeries. Um, I think when we started out, um, the, the main goal is really to save lives and reduce the transmission. And so I think we had to accept some of those costs. Um, I I think we are sympathetic to the fact that people have been waiting for some of these surgeries for quite a while. And so once the incidence rate now is lower, um, that shifts more towards the spectrum of, you know, loosening things up, allowing these people to get their surgeries, allowing some businesses to start to open. Um, And I think we can do so in a safe and uh, kind of careful manner. 
It's it's a big change from, again, looking at the March 21st letter where you were warning that we were on the track, uh, possibly the same track as Italy. Uh, do you regret writing that or do you think that was that was too alarmist? Uh, not at all. Um, you know, I think yeah, I always knew that at some point um, when we came forward with that letter, um, if at the end of the day um, people did observe the restrictions that we, you know, we were advocating for um, and also, you know, the province was advocating for and the rates were low, that at some point people might say, well, we overreacted. Um, but, you know, my response to that is, how do you know um, you're, you know, you're finding the exact middle is very challenging. And so you'd almost rather overreact and have numbers like we do uh, compared to uh, other places uh, across the country or in the world where, you know, you're talking about death rates in the, in the thousands, you're talking about incidence rates in the tens of thousands. And so, you know, this allows us to potentially go back and relax restrictions uh, earlier and in a safer manner um, so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I would do it again. Are you concerned at all now with going into phase two with some more restrictions and uh, those restrictions being lifted and relaxed? Are you concerned that people might let their guard down? Um, you know, I think that's always the concern at the end of the day. I, I think it is hard, though, to maintain these restrictions with such rigor. And you can understand how people can start to let their guard down, especially when the numbers being reported uh, on the news are dropping. Um, so I think it's, it's reasonable to actually, because this is going to happen, I think it's reasonable if we can lay out a plan. Um, because the plan, you know, if people follow it still, will allow us to relax those restrictions in a careful manner. And if we do that in a careful manner... Um, I do fundamentally believe that um, the instance rate may go up a little bit, um, but it would be in a manageable fashion, um, which is what, you know, I think the provincial government and Dr. Henry, you know, they're doing all the calculations and projections, and they're looking at relaxing the restrictions to a 60% level. And through their calculations, if we did it at, in that manner, we're able to achieve that kind of target then uh, the incidence rates would still be uh, fairly reasonable. And are you confident in that scenario then hospitals like Royal Columbian then would still be able to respond and wouldn't be overwhelmed? I think so. You know, one of the nice things I was saying at another um, interview that I was uh, participating in was that uh, the drop in the number of cases has really given us some time um, to prepare and uh, because we have less cases, we've also been able to source out uh, protective equipment, you know, build up a bit of a stock and, uh, you know, put in measures in place to, to plan for if there is a resurgence. I think we understand more about COVID-19, uh, how to screen the testing, um, and uh, we'll continue to get more information as time goes by. So the more lead time we have, uh, the better prepared we will be. And how important do you think it will be as far as testing or continuing that testing and really expanding on contact tracing? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's very important. Uh, many of us in the medical community believe that that's the key when you relax restrictions is to expand the testing and, uh, and really be, a, you know, very rigorous about contact tracing. 
Um, one of the things that, that the province has been able to do is obtain machines and reagents that allow you to uh, increase your testing by hundredfold and also get testing turnaround times that are much quicker. So um, a lot of these are in place or will be in place, my understanding is, in the next few months. So that will also give us the capacity to um, be more rigorous about things and comprehensive, especially when we get to the fall. And you mentioned as well the personal protection, the the equipment, the masks and gowns and things, uh, particularly in the healthcare setting, because that was a big issue in the beginning, this fear of running out. There were reports of thefts from hospital settings. Are, are, how are staff feeling now or what is it like in Royal Columbian? Is it, is it okay as far as supplies or is there still concern about that? Yeah, no, I think staff are quite comfortable with the supplies. Uh, we've been able to source different supplies and and now there's actually been some measures in, in place to get uh, supplies that are actually reusable. So, for example, there are um, elastomer masks uh, that you can clean that you can use instead of an N95, and uh, they have filters on them, and they can last for six months to a year. So in the high-use areas, instead of using an N95 mask and then throwing it away, um, you can actually use these elastomer respirators, and uh, and they can be reused. So I think as we're getting more supply of those then our need for disposable uh, personal protective equipment declines. All right. Well, Dr. DeRosa, thank you so much for making some time for us today and uh, for chatting about this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Well, you might have heard this story in the news and more concerns being raised about an outbreak of COVID-19 in Abbotsford at the Abbotsford Hospital and healthcare workers who have become infected with the virus. Well, joining me on the line to talk a bit more about this is Christine Sorensen, the president of the BC Nurses Union. Christine, thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, glad to be here, Jill. Um, how are the nurses at this point, the healthcare workers that have tested positive for the virus? Uh, well, from what I hear, most people are managing just fine. They are at home isolating with their families and public health is doing contact tracing. Uh, but as we do know with this virus, uh, things can change at any time. Uh, so certainly there's a lot of stress about being uh, identified as now being a positive case for COVID. And can you walk us through a bit? I know you've talked about this in the past, but how this happened and where this happened in the hospital uh, in a designated unit. So it would have had that very high level of control in place. So what do we know about what happened or what led to this infection? Well, we are working with Fraser Health and WorkSafe BC to conduct an investigation to find out what happened in that site. Uh, as you've identified, this is a COVID-positive po- COVID hospital, as well as a COVID-designated unit uh, in the ICU. Uh, and so it is very concerning when, when you hear in a place uh, where the highest levels of infection control measures should be in place and the highest level of PPE is being used, uh, that it's important uh, that we un- understand more how this virus could have been transmitted. Uh, because if everything had been going right, we obviously wouldn't have people who are infected. And so do you think it's a, it's a bit of an outlier in that it's happened at this hospital? Because if it's if it, if it was that it was managing to somehow infect people, even at the highest level of infection control, it would seem that we would probably be seeing it at other hospitals as well, wouldn't we? 
Well, any time that there's an outbreak in a healthcare facility, it raises concerns for the health and safety of the staff and their patients. And this is not the only acute care facility. As you know, we've heard lots in the news about long-term care, um, but we've also had outbreaks at Lionsgate Hospital and Ridge Meadows Hospital. Uh, So it isn't unusual to see an outbreak in an acute care facility. And do we know at this case, I mean, it would seem that it would be, it would seem obvious, I suppose, that that likely the spread was from the infected patient to the healthcare worker. But again, there are so many questions about this virus. I mean, I suppose, it, is it possible that this could be a community spread that a worker actually brought it in? Well, I think that that's the important part of the investigation. Uh, and that's some of the work that public health and their contact tracing team Uh, do uh, is trying to identify the source case and work out to identify the contacts. Uh, Investigations into outbreaks need to assess all aspects relating to the safety of the staff. Uh, And we're asking a lot of questions, you know, uh, around uh, access to personal protective equipment, uh, the appropriate infection control measures in the place, uh, and are the necessary engineering and administrative controls being utilized All of those uh, pieces of information will be very important in in discovering how there was such a large rate of infection in that unit. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has said uh, that there was no shortage of protective equipment at the Abbotsford Hospital. Is that your understanding as well? Well, I have heard from a number of nurses at that site uh, prior to the outbreak as well as uh, subsequent to the outbreak. Uh, that they do have difficulties with access to personal protective equipment. Uh, Some nurses tell us they're limited to the numbers of N95 masks that they can use in a shift. So the masks may be available, but they have limited uh, numbers that they can use. Uh, They don't always have unfettered access, which means uh, the freedom to go and select the mask that the nurse needs uh, when they need it. Uh, And there is, uh, many of the nurses are wearing visors that are shared between, so there's a communal use of visors, uh, and they need to wipe those down with a particular type of wipe, and those wipes are in short supply. Uh, So we do hear from the nurses regularly that there are concerns at this hospital, but also all over British Columbia, uh, that personal protective equipment is difficult to come by. Uh, It's it's often not the same standard or uh, type of material or or personal protective equipment the nurses have used before. Uh, And so, you know, we do have to take a look at all of the factors, including access to personal protective equipment. Uh, Under circumstances, non-pandemic circumstances, if a healthcare worker, a nurse was wearing an N95 mask, what would be the, the ideal time or how much, how long do you wear a mask before you throw it away? I think it's a really great question. Our training has been that this is a disposable product. So all personal protective equipment is used for one patient in one contact. Uh, Typically what happens when the nurse leaves the room, all of that personal protective equipment is taken off or doffed and and placed in a disposable container. Uh, What's concerning for us now is that we are being asked to use personal protective equipment for an extended period of time uh, or in some cases reapply personal protective equipment like the face visors. Uh, In any other time, that would have been a situation where nurses would have been uh, uh, critiqued uh, or or possibly even disciplined for for reusing disposable equipment. And now we're in a situation where we're being asked to reuse disposable equipment. So in in the scenarios now, what are you hearing then? If if in in the ideal, the the ideal way of doing it is one mask per patient contact, Uh, how long is a nurse now wearing an N95 that same mask? Uh, well, I have nurses telling me that they're they're asked to wear the same N95 mask for that whole shift, 
uh, in this particular unit. Nurses uh, have told me they've been restricted to only two to three uh, uh, during their shift. Uh, And that can be concerning because people are going in and out of patient rooms frequently. We do need to look at an alternate source. I do think that uh, moving away from disposable masks will be where we need to go as as a healthcare system, something that is reusable, can be decontaminated uh, and reused. Uh, We're obviously having difficulty worldwide accessing enough disposable N95 masks in the right size and the right fit uh, for healthcare providers to be safe. Uh, Because that's another thing about them, isn't it? It's not like you just slap the mask on. These masks are fitted Mm -hmm. to your face. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a that's a sort of a misunderstanding from the public and others that uh, that you can just use any N95 mask. Uh, masks are fitted to the nurse's face. They are told to use what specific size of mask. Uh, unfortunately, we have had critical shortages of certain sizes. Uh, some nurses have been. Uh, prevented from going in to provide care for a patient because the mask they are fitted for is not available. So they've had to rely on other members of their healthcare team or in some situations have left the healthcare team short because they've not had the right size mask. Uh, So we know that there is an investigation now into this outbreak at the Abbotsford Hospital. Do you have any idea when we might get answers or you might get a better idea on what exactly happened? No, not at this point. You know, we'll be working closely with WorkSafe and Fraser Health to discover uh, what needs to change in this unit to ensure that we can protect the healthcare staff. Uh, we will be looking closely as, at what we call engineering controls and administrative controls. Uh, those are things like structuring the unit a certain way so that people only have access. Uh, uh, COVID-positive patients are only accessing one side of the the unit and not the other. Nurses have places to don and doff their equipment. Break rooms are separated. There's lots of physical distance, airflow, a number of things. Uh, So we'll all have to wait to find out what the information brings forward. It will be a great learning opportunity to prevent this from happening at another another site, though. Uh, Is there some optimism, given the numbers and where we are in BC and with the number of people in the ICU continuing to go down? Well, I think nurses are greatly relieved that we don't have a lot of people infected in BC and we're not seeing what's happened in other parts of the world or even other parts of Canada like Ontario and Quebec. Uh, So in this province, nurses are greatly relieved that we've not had a lot of seriously ill people who've been in the ICU, uh, required, uh, you know, a very high level of care. Uh, And although there have been a number of deaths and we grieve with those families, um, we're relieved that it's not higher. Uh, We are concerned with the opening up of the province that we will see more cases. Uh, We do recognize we need to learn to live with this new virus, um, but we need to figure out a way to do it safely so that we can keep the numbers of infected people down, uh, reduce the numbers of people who need our intensive care services, uh, and make sure that our healthcare workers stay safe and healthy through this so they can provide the care patients need. All right. Uh, We will leave it there. Christine, thank you again so much. Thanks, Jill. Glad to be here today. Well, you've probably noticed in grocery stores and other businesses, those plexiglass barriers are going up and we are only going to see more of them as we begin and get into phase two of the reopening. Plexiglass, the demand for it at an all-time high. Let's bring in Martin Salter. He is a North Shore Plastics owner and joins us on the line. Martin, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I know you've been extremely busy. What's it been like? Uh, well, I've had the last 10, 11 weeks straight. Uh, haven't stopped making COVID screens. So it, they're going everywhere. So <laughs> it's a big, big demand. So how, what goes into making a plexiglass, a plexiglass barrier? Uh, well, basically it's uh, the cutting and the gluing and the, the setup for the size and all the holes that they need in. Uh, you can put in like paper holes for lawyers, um, you know, cash holes for the uh, 
credit card machines uh, for like retail. So it's it's pretty custom what I do. So. And what would you have done? What were you making before? Uh, well, I was making custom stuff for boats, uh, for air conditioning units, all sorts of stuff. And in theory, I always say, if you can if you can dream it up, I can build it. So. <laughs> and what actually? What is what is plexiglass? Uh, plexiglass is just like a, I guess it's just a polymer. It's basically you know there's different types. I think there's 875 types, all completely different. So plexiglass is just a clear version of acrylic. Um, it looks like glass. Um, really hard to tell the difference. The only way I can tell the difference between a lot of the materials is just by scraping it. I can tell the sound. Hmm. So. And so is there a specific, when there's all those different types, then is there a specific one that you're using as far as COVID screens? Well, just the COVID screens is basically just uh, acrylic. It's just a uh, plexiglass. Plexiglass is kind of a trade name, I guess you could call it. So. Okay. Hmm. And, and the shapes and sizes, then you must be getting all types of different orders. Well, most of it, like, I, did, I was originally working with doctors and pharmacies and things like that, and most of those things are fairly custom. So it kind of fits right into my wheelhouse because I do custom. So I don't think I've built too many of the same. So, Have you been able to keep up with demand? I've been keeping up with it so far, so, you know, just working seven days a week pretty well. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to take a few minutes uh, to talk to us today. Uh, yeah. What about the supply? Is there any concern that with this huge spike in demand of supply, the supplies that you need to make the product? Well, right now, okay, well, I've run out, pretty well run out of material right now, and I know a lot of these, like, uh, the fabricators and stuff have run out of material, um, but my supplier is bringing in more material, and it's basically, it's going to be about one to two weeks. Uh, so there will be more material, but right now all of the suppliers are pretty well out of clear materials. And where do they come from? Uh, well, it comes from all over the place, uh, states, uh, China, everywhere. Hmm. I, mean, I don't really know where they bring it in from, but I know that I've got some stuff from Saudi Arabia, some stuff from Mexico, some you know different places. So it's it's so strange or i find ironic i guess is a better word that kind of this the the battle against plastic and single use plastic but when it's we're now in a pandemic and it can save our life we're fine with it well i think that the single use plastic like plastic bags okay that's a completely different sort of sort of realm um those plastic bags i mean the one thing that people need to do is basically throw it away but if you just throw it down like all the mass and stuff they're throwing on the ground right now uh, that's not the right way to deal with plastics. I mean, true, plastics, true. in theory, can be recycled into all sorts of things uh, almost better than wood. I mean, wood is a tree. Plastic is just a polymer. So, in theory, it can be recycled into other things. So, And is that what you say? I mean, it's it's hard to think that far into the future, but if we get to a time where we don't need plexiglass barriers, what will happen to all of these shields and all the barriers that you're making? Well, just a. Just from, I mean, I don't really know too much about that side of it because all I'm doing is busy building. But uh, from the doctors and stuff that I have sort of talked to and have come in, uh, they're figuring that these will probably remain up almost all the time now. Hmm. Because they do protect you from just about anything, a cold, virus, flus, all that kind of stuff. Has the price gone up for people ordering? Yeah. I haven't raised my prices. I mean, I'm just doing the same thing I've always done, so I don't really know. <laughs> I, mean, I would imagine that uh, come when it, the materials get shorter, yeah, it'll probably start to go up, but hard to say. 
And so uh, the way things are now with this huge demand, how long if somebody, if a custom client comes to you uh, saying, uh, I'm a restaurant owner, I need, you know, 100 of these things or 50 of these things, how long are they waiting now? Well, generally with these things that I do, again, like I say, I'm custom. So I usually build, uh, say, upwards of, say, 10 or 12 units. Uh, so in theory, when they do that, they can say, well, they come in on a Monday and they say, well, I need this. Sometimes I can have it done by a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Hmm. So I'm I'm pretty lucky in the fact that I'm just really just uh, very custom on it. So I get smaller orders. I don't do things like uh, Superstore or any of those kind of big places. I'm more taking care of these smaller stores. And you mentioned you were doing medical supplies before. Are you getting more requests, say, from cafes, restaurants, smaller places? Um, well, see, the, the, I, I sort of use it as a COVID-19 sort of waves. The first wave was really, for me, the doctors and the first aid equipment. Uh, for the uh, like all of the first aid clinics. And then the second wave for me is now going to be the opening of stuff because you will have to have those shields to open your stores or restaurants or whichever. I mean, I think that's part of what the, you know, the laws will say. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, when was the last time you had a day off? <laughs> uh, 11 weeks ago. <laughs> and when do you think the next time you're going to take a day off? Uh, probably another 11 weeks. Well, thank you for doing this because, I mean, that's a key part in phase two. And like you said, it's going to be required in a lot of different places uh, to do that. Uh, Before I let you go, anything strange that you've been asked to make? I know you do custom work. What's the strangest thing you've been asked for? Strangest thing? Um, hmm. Uh, Well, originally, a long time ago, I made a man walk on water. Huh. Literally. So. <laughs> All right, so not COVID-19 no, related, I did, though. I did movie stuff, but uh, <laughs> stuff like that is a little bit different. Um, Nothing is kind of weird in the COVID stuff, so. It's pretty, yeah, pretty straightforward, standard straightforward, safety. protect and sort of keep safe. All right. Yeah. Well, I know, again, I know you're super busy, so thank you so much for taking some time with us. It was great to talk with you.